Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. There's blood around my mom. But my first reaction was like, she fell, you know, she hit her head. I'm like, what's wrong, you know, not realizing this had happened hours ago. She wasn't breathing or anything. And I wasn't understanding, you know, why, like, things were just, they weren't registering, you know. I was just seeing them, but I wasn't understanding what was going on. Why my mom was tied up or, you know, what happened. I should have known what happened, but it was my mom, you know. Situated in a working-class Brooklyn neighborhood is a group of eight brick apartment buildings known as the Bushwick Houses. The 1,220-unit complex was built by New York City's Housing Authority and provides much-needed affordable housing for many families in the area. Unfortunately, Bushwick also has a reputation for attracting more than its fair share of criminal activity. In May of 2018, on Mother's Day weekend, a brutal double homicide claimed the lives of two innocent and unlikely victims, neighbors in the same building. Authorities are convinced someone in the community has information that can bring the killers to justice, but so far, no one has been willing to come forward. Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Double Murder on the Fifth Floor. On May 11, 2018, Maria is just getting off work from her job at Brooklyn Hospital, where she works the 9-to-5 shift. It's two days before Mother's Day, so on her way home, she decides to pick up some flowers as an early gift for her mother. Anna Del Valle. Maria arrives home at around 6 p.m. with a bouquet of roses in her hand, takes the elevator, and gets off on the fifth floor. When I get to the door, I'm about to open with my key, but it's open. And I saw her on the floor. And there was like a puddle of blood around her. My first reaction was like, she fell, you know, she hit her head and I grabbed her and I'm like trying to, you know, like, what's wrong? I'm banging on her chest, you know, thinking like, okay, you know, she's gonna be okay, you know? It just wasn't registering in my head that my mom wasn't breathing. And when, you know, I, I lifted her up, 
I saw like a hole by her ear and I was like, what is this, you know, like, and then I noticed that she had a hole in her forehead. I didn't know what was happening. I had never seen a gunshot wound, let alone my mom like this. 62-year-old Ana Del Valle is dead from gunshot wounds to her head and torso. Her hands have been tied behind her back with the cord to her electric massager. Overwhelmed by grief and shock, Maria can't even process what she's seeing. All she can do is call 911 and wait anxiously for help to arrive. My mom was very cheerful, petite, about five feet, really, really curly hair. She loved having the family together. She made it a point where she would always prepare a home-cooked meal. That was her way of showing us her love. Anna immigrated to New York City in 1983 from her native Honduras. Starting over in a new country as a single mother was a daunting challenge, but she was determined to build a better future for her three young children. She started working in a sweatshop, making sweaters. She worked there for a couple of years. My two brothers and I, we basically just went to school while she worked. Wouldn't let us hang out much. She was pretty strict with us. She wanted us to have a better life than what she had to go through. She was always there for us. Anna's kids grew to be responsible adults. Her oldest son eventually left the apartment to start his own family, while Maria and her twin brother continued to live at home with their mother. When the factory where Anna worked closed down, she began to clean apartments to support her family, then eventually retired. That's when she started enjoying herself. She would go to the community center that's there right across from the building where we lived at. She would do cooking classes, knitting, and, you know, all types of activities. She loved keeping busy, very lively, very happy. In 2018, the Del Valle family live in the Bushwick Housing Complex in Brooklyn. Home is a three-bedroom apartment in building number seven, unit 5C. The building has 13 floors, each with about 10 apartments. The Del Valles have lived there for nearly 20 years, but they aren't close with any of their neighbors. Based on what they see going on in the building, they just try to keep to themselves. Downstairs in the main lobby, there would be these young kids just hanging around, playing dice. They would be smoking weed, selling drugs in the hallway, selling drugs in the staircase. Anybody would come in and out. They didn't necessarily have to live there. It was also gangs, you could tell. You know, people would hang out in groups. There were shootings a couple of times. We didn't feel 100% safe, but, you know, unfortunately, that's where we lived at. It was May 11th of 2018, and at around 6 o'clock in the evening, I received a call of a female found shot in the head inside her apartment. At the time, Steve Minucci works as a squad detective in the NYPD's 90th precinct. The Bushwick housing complex falls within his jurisdiction. We got to the scene within a few minutes of the call coming over. There was multiple officers on location. One of the family members, Maria, who discovered Anna, had been removed from the immediate area. 
Upon entering the apartment, we observed Anna lying on the floor in a pool of blood, at least two visible gunshot wounds, and her wrists bound with a wire. An area like that, you're going to see every type of call you can imagine. Drug-related, occasionally gunshots, men or women with firearms, domestic violence. This was definitely a more brutal fashion of crime than what we typically see out there. In this particular case, she was retired. She basically lived for her family. She had no prior criminal history whatsoever. Obviously, as a detective, you have to disconnect and you have to kind of just look at things with a clinical eye and try to see the evidence and not the tragedy. But we all have loved ones. And when you see something like this, you think if it could happen to them, it really could happen to anyone. Detectives interview Maria and her brother and learn that Anna split her time between running the household and activities at the local community center. Many days she was home alone while Maria and her brother were at work, and the family had a predictable routine. Normally, my day was going to work early in the morning, Monday through Friday. My brother at the time, he had like a part-time job, and he would also go in early. My mom, she was a busy body, you know, she would be always out and about, either the supermarket or the gym. When I got into work around 9 a.m., you know, I'd give her a call just to see of her whereabouts. We would speak almost throughout the whole day. On the morning of Friday, May 11th, 2018, Maria tells investigators she was rushing around the apartment, getting ready for her shift at the hospital. As she was leaving, she noticed something out of the ordinary. The door to their apartment was unlocked. I found it kind of weird because if my brother would leave before me, he would lock the door. And that morning, he had already left and the door was open. I started heading out, didn't think anything of it, but, you know, I locked the door. As she raced down the street toward the subway station, Maria had a troubling thought. Perhaps her mother stepped out of their apartment for a moment and didn't lock the door because she was planning to come right back. Afraid that she might have accidentally locked her mother out, Maria called Anna, who said she was, in fact, in the apartment. Relieved, Maria continued on her way to work, with no idea that she would never speak with her mother again. Hours later, at the crime scene, the condition of Anna's body indicates to investigators that she's been dead for several hours, so it's assumed she was killed shortly after speaking with Maria at 9 a.m. A mop found just outside the apartment suggests Anna had been cleaning the fifth floor hallway that morning, something she was known to do. There are few other clues left behind. No signs of forced entry, no fingerprints, and no murder weapon. There was minimal forensic evidence from that crime scene. A small amount of DNA was recovered, but forensically, there was not a great deal to go on. She was shot three times in the torso and head, two different caliber bullets, uh, 9mm and 380. The fact that there was two caliber of ammunition found would suggest to me that there was at least two people kind of controlling the scene. The apartment itself was not particularly disheveled. No, like, furniture knocked over, didn't look like a serious struggle, which, to be honest, makes sense. She was a small, older woman. She was probably very easily overpowered. The binding suggests to me that she was being held and threatened, possibly to keep her quiet, keep her scared. It's indicative that it's two or more individuals who simply have no regard for human life. 
With few leads to follow, investigators begin combing through hours of grainy surveillance video from cameras in the lobby and elevator. Dozens of people are seen coming and going throughout the day, but nothing on the video points detectives toward a suspect. It does help us kind of narrow down the time of death. It also obviously eliminates both children of Anna Del Valle as suspects, being that they're both seen leaving the building and not returning. But other than that, there's nothing more compelling on the video. We don't see people running away or people reacting to a gunshot. Sometimes you get a good shot. You can know exactly who it is. But you have to remember, people are coming. They're wearing hats. They might be wearing like a jacket covering up their face a little bit. Or the other sad fact is that sometimes people in these buildings, they know the buildings very well. So often when they're walking by a camera, they'll purposely put their head down a bit so you can't quite see their face. NYPD officers systematically canvass for witnesses throughout the huge apartment building. They knock on countless doors, but come away with little information. In a community like this, you knock on 100 apartment doors. If you get answers at 30 of them, you're probably lucky. People can be out at that time. People can simply not want to talk to the police. People in the building weren't necessarily uncooperative, but no one was able to really give us much information. At the time this occurred, there was no 911 calls, there was no witnesses, no one claimed to have heard anything. It was very much a situation where people would kind of say, yeah, this is a terrible thing, but uh, I don't know anything. Maria informs police that the $100 in cash she had left on her dresser is now missing, but nothing else appears to have been taken from the apartment. The scene resembles an execution-style killing, but Anna and her children don't have any connections to local gang members or the drug trade. The family can't imagine a reason for anyone to want their mother dead. I don't see how my mom could have been a target. I don't think she had any problems with anyone. It was like, why her? Why our mom? Who would go in there and do this and not rob her, you know? Like if it was a robbery, not take anything. Her wallet was there, her phone was there, everything was there. Who would do this? Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners Adidas, Expedia, and Ray-Ban. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for travel deals and home electronics. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. 
Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Detectives pound the pavement around the clock all Mother's Day weekend, pushing to find a lead that will point them towards a motive or possible suspects. Then, at 4.30 p.m. on Sunday afternoon, authorities receive another call from the Bushwick Apartments that adds a bizarre new wrinkle to Anna's case. NYPD detectives from the 90th precinct back on the same floor of the same building at the Bushwick houses tonight. Now investigating not one, but two deaths. Police tell us family members discovered 54-year-old Basil Gray shot in his apartment 5B at 140 Moore Street, right next to the crime scene in 5C. They're now working to figure out if the two are connected. In a shocking twist, less than 48 hours after the discovery of Anna's body, police find themselves investigating the shooting of her next-door neighbor, 54-year-old Basil Gray. From the moment detectives enter his apartment, they doubt the two killings are just a coincidence. Basil was lying in the middle of the floor, shot multiple times. The state of the body indicated he'd been dead a couple of days. There was blood stains on the door, on the wall, splatters in the kitchen, a trail of blood leading from the door to his body. What it certainly appears as though is that he had been standing by the door when he was shot and it kind of made his way over to the center of the apartment. Similar to Anna's apartment, there was minimal forensic evidence. There was no sign of ransacking or that the apartment had been gone through or that there had been any kind of struggle in the apartment. The biggest thing we uncovered based on Basil's apartment is that we believe the same 9mm gun that was used in Anna was also used on Basil. Was Basil shot on Friday at the same time as Anna? Investigators can't be certain, but based on the condition of his body, it's more than likely. Basil's relatives tell police they hadn't heard from him since Thursday. On Sunday afternoon, they went to his apartment to check on him, found him lifeless, and immediately called 911. Basil lived there for a few years, not as long as Anna, but several years. For the most part, he lived alone. Occasionally, he would have people stay with him for short periods of time. He had a family. He had an on-and-off girlfriend, sisters, nieces, stepchildren. He had a very, very minor criminal history, nothing violent, nothing serious. Generally speaking, he was a good citizen and a good man. Officers received no response at Basil's apartment while canvassing the building Friday evening, but had no reason at that point to find it suspicious. Investigators searched through the surveillance videos again, now specifically focused on Basil's movements. The footage suggests that when the police knocked on his door, Basil had likely been home, lying dead in his living room. We observed both Anna's children, as well as the second victim, Basil, leaving, and then in the case of Basil, returning to the building around 9 a.m. At no point is he ever seen leaving after that. He's coming back with a, like a bodega, a cup of coffee. He's seen walking in with it, getting the elevator, getting off the elevator. In the crime scene, that cup of coffee is there, still three-quarters full, on his nightstand. Based on the coffee cup and other available evidence, investigators believe Basil and Anna were shot by the same vicious killers sometime between 9.30 and 10 a.m. Detectives also speak to a few people in the building who recall hearing what could have been gunshots Friday morning around that time. Still, narrowing down when the murders occurred doesn't tell police who fired the weapons 
or why they chose to kill Anna and Basil. As victims, I would describe them as unusual, but also vulnerable. They were two older people at frequent times throughout the day. They would have been by themselves. They were neighbors. They were cordial, even friendly, but not particularly close. No one knew of any problems between the two victims and anyone else in the building. The Del Valle family told me basically that they tended to try to keep to themselves, especially based on the kind of things that were going on in the area. The limited interaction between the two neighbors makes a premeditated double homicide seem unlikely. But Anna and Basil did have one thing in common that may have put them at risk. They both disliked the gangs and open drug activity plaguing their building. Perhaps one of them had angered the wrong person and ended up with a target on their back. I was very worried because she would be all day by herself. She would call the police, you know, at times. I guess just to try to make it a little bit more safe for people to come in and out of the building and, you know, for people that didn't live there, and not, you know, to go maybe somewhere else. People watched. I would tell her, you're coming in. It's only you in the lobby. Then police come afterwards. Of course, they're going to put two and two together. You know, it's like, don't do this. Just let it be, you know, just go about your business. But she was the type like, no, you know, enough is enough. These people, they don't live here. This is not right. People should be calling. We can't even live in our own building in peace. You know, and that was, you know, her trying to make a difference. Basil, like Anna, was concerned with the safety of the building. He would speak to people about selling drugs in the area, also make 911 calls. He was not a violently confrontational person, but he would speak his mind about that he, he didn't want to see that kind of stuff where he lived. We investigated you know, the fact that she had called 911 multiple times as if, if that might be a possible motive. But at this time, based on what we've learned, we don't believe that was what caused this to happen. If the killer's purpose that morning wasn't to murder Anna or Basil, then why did they both end up dead? According to Maria, the gunman may have been targeting a different apartment in the building, but mistakenly ended up on the fifth floor. The people from upstairs, we think that they were, you know, selling or something, you know, they were into bad things. And people would go sometimes getting off on the wrong floor, knocking on our door, and they would think they were knocking on the sixth floor. So my first thought was like, maybe somebody got the wrong apartment. Maybe she came out to do the floor, mop the floor. Maybe she saw something, you know, when she came out and maybe she was a witness to it. And maybe that's why they had to do what they did to her. We just don't even know. Investigators have several theories as to why the gunman may have been on the fifth floor, but not enough evidence to know who they are or exactly why they murdered Anna and Basil. Based on the investigation we've conducted up to this point, I don't believe it was just a completely random act. I believe whoever did this went to one of those apartments looking for something or someone, and ultimately it ended in tragedy. While the victims themselves may not be connected to the drug trade, based on our investigation, we believe there may be a drug connection to why they were killed. It's absolutely possible that whoever did this either had gone to the wrong apartment looking for someone else who wasn't there, or it's possible someone may have had information that there was either drugs or money coming from drugs in one of the apartments. And they were looking for those things and acting on just bad information. 
But whatever the case may be, there were two people who were willing to commit an incredibly violent crime, either to get what they were looking for or cover their tracks. After repeated in-depth analysis, investigators are still unable to identify the killers in security footage from the day of the murders. It seems unlikely they could have made it in and out of the building without being recorded, but Detective Minucci believes there may be another explanation. The possibility is that rather than someone entering and leaving the building, it could have been someone coming from another floor and then simply returned to that floor. The only time we might see them, if they didn't use the stairs, would be on the elevator. Could the people who killed Anna and Basil have lived in their building? Limited evidence makes it difficult to establish likely suspects or clear motives. But with what is known, Detective Minucci believes they have a good idea of what happened during Anna and Basil's last moments. What we believe happened is that the two perpetrators enter the building, whether it's from another floor or through the main entrance, sometime after 9 a.m., they confront Anna either in her apartment or just outside of it, bind her, and at that point, what is possible happens is that Basil hears what's going on and comes to investigate. At that point, we believe one of the perpetrators chased Basil back into his apartment and shot him before Basil was able to get the door closed. Anna was then shot and the perpetrators leave the area. What I have to stress is that that is opinion and speculation based on what I've observed. I'm fairly confident that is the case, but we need a person who knows what happened in those apartments. And right now, the only people who know what happened are the perpetrators. In the days following the murders, police come into possession of something that is a possible lead to the killer's identity. A mysterious cell phone video allegedly recorded the morning of May 11th through the peephole of an apartment on the fifth floor. An anonymous individual was able to take what he claimed to be a cell phone video at around the time of the murders, which shows two male individuals and a female individual congregating outside the apartment. And then there are what are possibly gunshots heard in that video. The video is not great quality at all. Only one person's face is even remotely visible. We have released that video to the media to see if anyone could be identified on it. And we continue to investigate to determine how accurate and useful that video could be. Within days of the murders, a $2,500 reward was offered to anyone with information. Over time, the reward has grown to $20,000, but it still hasn't been enough to convince someone to come forward. After several frustrating months without a major break, the NYPD partnered with the FBI to help move the investigation forward. The FBI initially became involved as they were conducting their own investigation into the drug trade and gang problem in the Bushwick community. The FBI began to assist us and we worked together to kind of pool our resources and try to further this investigation. When we came into the investigation, we were trying to do various different things to assist. And one of the ways that the FBI and the federal government can help is with money. Special Agent John Basso is part of an FBI task force that works with the NYPD. In March of 2022, the Bureau takes a bold step, announcing their own $50,000 reward in an effort to generate new leads. Giving information to law enforcement is often a difficult decision to make, especially in communities that experience violence and, and that sort of thing. So we decided to add more to what was already being offered by the NYPD. And we're sort of hoping that the amount of money plus the amount of time that has elapsed convinces people that might be on the fence to come forward. Hey, it's Kaylee. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Family and friends marking the anniversary of an unsolved double murder in Brooklyn with a vigil. Four years later, the question remains why, with both the FBI and the NYPD both trying to find that answer. This case is not closed. We want the families to know and the public to know. Every aspect, every theory is being looked at. My heart goes to her family, Anna. And, I, you know, hopefully they'll catch this guy that did it. Now, years later, the FBI and the NYPD continue to seek justice for the families of Ana Del Valle and Basil Gray. Authorities won't reveal the details of everything they've learned through years of investigation, but claim to have developed several persons of interest in the case. However, more evidence is required to file charges and get these brutal killers off the streets. Sometimes all you need is that one last puzzle piece to bring everything you have together. In a community like this, people know what happened. There's people who have information. There's people who know what's going on. And the fact that people don't seem to care enough to come forward and provide some help to this investigation, it's frustrating. These weren't two bad people. These were two good people. It could have been anybody's mother. It could have been anyone's brother. These could have been anyone's loved one. So what we need is someone with knowledge, someone who knows something about this to come forward and help two families find peace after losing their loved ones in such a violent fashion. Supposedly, you know, everybody was going about their business and they didn't see or hear anything. And of course, shots were heard. This was in the morning. People are going to work. People are taking their kids to school. Somebody had to hear. Maybe they don't want the same to happen to them. People, you know, are just being quiet. Someone had to hear, but no one is saying anything. No one. For the victims' families, as long as this case remains open, each year that passes is a cruel reminder that Anna and Basil are no longer with them, and they fear the killers may never be held accountable. It's hard every day without her. It's harder on Mother's Day, obviously, you know, it's when it happened. It's hard to see everybody celebrating and we're not. I hope this doesn't become a cold case, you know, these people have to pay. How these people can just go about their lives, you know, like nothing happened. And here we are torn apart, you know, not knowing why, why her. My brothers and I would just want someone to come forward and say something, make these people pay. Between the FBI and NYPD, a combined total of $70,000 is being offered for information leading to Anna and Basil's killers. If you have any knowledge of the events surrounding their murders, or the people responsible, you can share what you know by calling the NYPD Public Information Office at 646-610-6700 or the FBI's New York office at 212-384-1000. 
tips can also be emailed to anthony.pissarro at nypd.org or submitted on our website at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. It's very hard to understand. I always say that if this happened to Matt and Phil, this could happen to anyone. I really think what they ran into was someone very sinister and very evil. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Mural Productions and Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. It is executive produced by Terry Dunn Muir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Christine Lenig, Courtney Ennis, and Bill Schultz. The story producer for this episode was Ann Toller, and it was edited by Keith Shea. From Cadence 13, editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil and Andy Jaskowitz. Production support by Sean Cherry, Ian Mont, and Ava Fenneberger. Artwork and design is by Kurt Courtney. Publicity by Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 79 of Unsolved Mysteries.